Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. They were a woke bank. If you look at their uh, director of risk management, uh, she brags about their diversified ESG portfolio. And the problem is that uh, a lot of this is fantasy land. It's like the Green New Deal. It doesn't work. It doesn't pencil out. And if you're a bank being insured by the federal government, which is the FDIC, your responsibility is to grant loans to people who can actually pay them back, not just to people who check a box on a liberal wish list. You know, in the men's room, they even have fluoridated water running free and unchecked. <laughs> that was uh, Chairman Comer from the House Oversight Committee uh, commenting on the uh, uh, on the banking crisis, I guess, that we saw uh, last week. The Silicon Valley Bank uh, going under, government rushing in. Uh, it gave me tremors having lived through the 2000 and. Uh, nine situation 2008 2009 but uh we're just hacks we need to talk about the political implications of it and who better to have with us than a professional broadcaster charlie sykes the voice of the bulwark and many other things there an all-around great american from the wonderful state of wisconsin a fellow warrior in the non-grievance conservative world for many years uh, the best and host. We should plug your podcast. What's the? There are about sure. forty-eight podcasts over yes. there. They're all great. But your your main one, if people want to tune in, it's hard to remember. It's the Bulwark Podcast, and we do it <laughs> every day. Every oh my god, freaking day, I should say. Well, we're lo- we're lucky to have you, man. We're lucky to grab you away for a few minutes here. So, uh, thanks thanks for being here. Listen, no, you I guys. You know, I meant what I said. I mean, I lived through this thing where the dominoes just fell. Le- less likely to happen now because the steps that were taken after the last crisis. But uh, what did you think when you heard that story? And what did you think about the administration's actions? And then let's talk about the unusual analysis of Chairman Comer. Yeah, I want to. I want to get to that because, of course, you know, we'd like to think that there are grow, grown-ups in the room who actually uh, have some clue what to do. And then you play a soundbite like that. It's like, oh no, yeah. um, you know, beginning to do somebody with a nail. What everything looks like a hammer. I guess that that's his. That's his go-to. Um, no, I had I had the same reaction uh, you did. You have a little bit of PTSD remembering what uh, happened last time. Um, and whether or not, you know, this is one of those cases where, I mean, the risks are, are, are multiple. I mean, first of all, you have the risk of this, this meltdown on your watch, which is never good. There's no possible good case scenario. There's the political problem of having a bailout while denying there's a bailout, because I don't think anybody wants to bail out, um, you know, the people with the, with the memories of goldfish who are responsible for, for all of this. Um, and so, uh, you, you, I mean, so you have that multiple problem. You have the problem of what happens if the economy melts down a year before the election? What happens if you have a banking crisis? And then secondly, are you going to restart the populist fires? Because people mm-hmm. remember what, the, what it was like, um, you know, in 2008, 2009, where these bankers behaved so recklessly and no one was ever held accountable. And, yeah. you know, handouts to billionaires just don't strike me as, uh, um, I mean, I understand you have to stop the bleeding, but the political hangover from 
the handouts to uh, to reckless billionaires uh, could could last a long time. The Pauls are like scalded cats when it comes to bailouts, even though the policies back then with some flaws were basically right. I'm torn on this between political analysis and raw personal greed, which is mm-hmm. a frequent Republican dilemma. Oh, shit. You have, uh, your, you have your millions there, don't you? In the No, no. It's a crap bank. But uh, <laughs> I do work with First Republic Bank and the stock collapsed because the contagion was starting to move, even though they're a very good, you know, highly liquid bank. So I was gleefully buying the stock at 22 bucks a share into the panic because I think the policy was right. There's something as bad as Silicon Valley Bank's management was. There's a sidebar that the national security people will quietly talk about, which is unfortunately they weren't the bank of Western Indiana, not that depositors there don't deserve a lot of sympathy. They were the bank of Silicon Valley. So fragile tech startups that have a lot of very important IP for our future competitiveness as a country against the Chinese and others, they're on the front lines of that battle. And seeing a bunch of them go down the drain potentially in a liquidity crisis because of an idiot bank trying to get too much yield, there there was another reason why this one deserved a bailout more than the average bank from a from a national interest point of view. That said, can't forget moral hazard. Uh, the good news for Biden is I, I think they nipped this thing in the bud. That's why, and I don't give investment advice here, ignore me. Uh, but I think the stronger banks will recover. The banking system is in a lot better st- state now. And so I think this thing will go away and the Republican right will be the populist thing will go, but it won't get big enough to really fuel that yeah. potential was there, but I don't think it'll happen. I think he did act quickly and he was, and they were smart to do it. Uh, they had the advantage of, uh, recollections of, uh, of the last, uh, disaster. And, uh, you know, he was quick to go on television and, explain you know that it wasn't a bailout that taxpayers weren't going to bear the cost of it and so on because of the sensitivity of it charlie mentions the politics of that i actually think uh one of the things that has scarred the democratic party and has driven some of the uh, uh some of the folks who have fled to the republican party over the years those white non-college uh folks was this impression that uh you know, people below them got handouts. These are their words. People above them got bailouts. And they're in the middle kind of stuck holding the bag. Exactly and right. uh, and uh, so I do think that um, there's a real sensitivity about this. But he had to do what he had to do because if this thing, you could see how quickly this thing could, we all know from that last experience. But let me ask you guys something. You know, you, you guys... Uh, have spent a lot of time in your lives railing against regulation. Uh, And when the whole debate about Dodd-Frank was going on, uh, you may have been on the other side of that debate, I suspect. Uh, Those tools that were put in place, imperfect as they may have been, seem pretty important right now. And now you hear Republicans, you Republicans saying the regulators didn't do their job, the regulators weren't tough enough. It's kind of a topsy-turvy world. Well, I'll grant the point the Republicans are massive hypocrites, but nice try, Trotsky. The the <laughs> the, the the lefty bank stuff, there have been badly managed banks failing for a long time. And the fact is, and some of the regulatory stuff, they can take some credit. The banking system's really strong. It's gonna shake this thing off, I believe. Um, so I don't think more regulation is necessarily the big answer here. This is one medium sized bank 
It just happens to be in a very strategic place. I didn't necessarily say more regulation. What I said was that some of the things that were put in place, higher capital requirements and so on, yeah, were that's the strongest, best part of it. I agree. Were important in terms of staving off this crisis. Yeah, I I, I agree with you, and particularly you know in the light of what happened during the Trump era, where they rolled back some of those, uh, so some of those regulations uh, seemed to open the door a little bit. Look, I think the real problem, there's, there's, there's a long-term problem and a short-term problem. When you start to have a bank run, it's too late to you know, begin having a debate about moral hazard and everything. You have to stop the bleeding right now, which is why you need to have policies you know, in advance, setting up saying, this is what you're permitted to do. This is what you're not permitted to do. And these are the risks that you're going to run. You know, when all of this calms down, I, I think we need to step back and go, okay, we can't become bailout nation. If everyone in America decides that no matter how badly they screw up, no matter whatever they do, that mommy and daddy from Washington, D.C. are going to come and wipe, wipe their nose and wipe away their tears, then we've created a, you know, a risky environment. So I think that you need to set those expectations. You want a free economy? Fine. Free economy means risk. Risk means you can lose money and the government is not going to bail you out every time this, this happens. So. We need to have those regulations in place to stop what's going to happen, because quite frankly, we've seen over and over again that without some of these rules, people are, you know, I mean, we live in this age of this gilded age of grift and, and risk and, and greed and all of those things. And by the way, can I just throw in how just sad and pathetic it is to be reading about Barney Frank, that he, he does you know, Dodd Frank, and then he goes and he becomes on the board of directors of Signature Bank, which has now gone under, and used his prestige and his influence to support that Trump era rollback. It just it, it, this whole interaction between the political players and finance and stuff is creepy, and I think that's also you know the middle Americans who are sitting watching, you know, and believe that the that it's rigged. Yeah. Well, especially when they hear, well, we're going to come, we're going to go and rescue depositors who have deposits over 250,000. Yeah. And they That's say 250,000, uh, you know, and of course, many of them are corporate, uh, you know, and, and right. business. Uh, uh, yeah, they're payroll accounts and stuff. But it, it's yeah. still, you're right. On Main Street, it's like tails, they win, heads, they win. They can't lose because they either make a billion an hour in pay. Or when they screw up, they get bailed out by us. And there's huge rage there. And if this thing got bigger, more banks and everything, I think you would be hearing that in politics. Maybe you still will. We should move on, but I want to go back to Comer for a second. Uh, <laughs> because he's the guy who's leading all the investigations in the House. He's part of the House Republican leadership. And it goes to Charlie's point, which is like, where's the adult? supervision well not in the house uh i mean i i was around in 2008 when the big meeting in the white house about what to do uh in the big crisis and uh you know there were republicans and democrats barney frank was one of them who stood up and took ri their own political risk because they thought we've got responsibilities but these guys they're so stuck in their in their parable you know, that we are we are being consumed by wokeness and every problem is a result. And I'll tell you one other thing. I think the thing that pisses people off about politics is that when we have a real problem, 
the instinct of politicians, and I'm not saying this is exclusively a Republican problem, but the Republicans in the House are particularly subject yeah. to it. The instinct is to weaponize the problem in, to your advantage rather than trying to work to solve yeah. it. Oh, it's terrible. And the problem is the base voters in each party reward that behavior. They Politicians do. are entrepreneurs. That's part of the problem. There's a market for this crap. And now you can't find very many serious people in the House. Yep. Although quickly, I did have a memory flashback during this thing. As a young in the early eighties, when I was head of the George Shank Cards Republicans, I stole the best internship, prerogative of the mayor, as Mr. Daly would say. And I worked in the House recording studio. And we had three Republican congressmen, three stools, and they'd interview each other about their genius, and we'd send this new idea to local cable back. <laughs> One day we had a celebrity guest, David Prowse, who was the guy in the Darth Vader suit. And I saw a senior Republican congressman quiz him about, did anybody get hurt on the set of Star Wars by the laser swords? He thought they were real. <laughs> I think he was on armed service. So oh, morons so in the House are, is kind of a built-in feature. The problem is they've got control now. Yeah, well, now it's a little more like the bar scene in Star Wars over there, uh, a little unreal. Well, let, let me ask Charlie, though. Let me, we're yeah. we're, we're, we're no. both going on. Is there hope? You know, because we don't have – we've always had idiots, is my point. We don't know. This, but but is there hope that some serious people get in control? Because you don't want morons mixing with financial crises. No, you don't. And we don't know at this point because we don't know all of the concessions that Kevin McCarthy has has made. We don't know, you know, how much of his gonads he you know, has given to, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene to put in her lockbox. And so <laughs> is, is, is he prepared to sit in, you know, sit down with the president, to sit down with Janet Yellen and others and and cut a, a grown up deal? And will he be able to deliver his caucus? We I mean, yeah. at, the, at this yeah. point, I mean, we have. You know, Kevin McCarthy spent the last week being Tucker Carlson's gopher on January 6th. Marjorie Taylor Greene was installed as Speaker Pro Tem of the House. Kevin McCarthy refused to meet with Lodomir Zelensky, but apparently gave the green light to a delegation of uh, of, of his members who were going to go to the uh, Washington, D.C. jail to meet with some of the seditionists. So right now, I'm not seeing a lot of signals. The, yeah. the, the grown-ups are in charge in Kevin McCarthy's house? I was worried that Marjorie Taylor Greene was seen walking into her office with one of those glass cake covers, and I wondered what she might might yeah. be keeping there. She would have been with those deadly laser sword people, you know, back oh, yeah. in the day yeah. when you... Well, she would have asked, do they come from Israel? Are they part of the world Zionist plot? You know, she would have taken it a whole other <laughs> level. Prowse thought it was a mugging. He was looking around for hidden cameras, you know? <laughs> On your point, because the big thing coming down the track where adults are, are, are needed is this issue of the debt ceiling. Uh, and Biden released his budget uh you know this week yeah. and he and he i think pretty wisely uh keeps challenging the republicans to do the same because they're all about balancing the budget in 10 years and but not touching social security and medicare and i mean they're in a they're in a trap here uh and so they don't want to turn their cards over let's listen to a little of what biden had to say I'm prepared. I told the speaker, as soon as he's ready to lay out his budget, I'm willing to sit down. And now I'm hearing things like, well, we're not going to have our budget till April or May, maybe even June. All this talk pushing me to get my budget done. I said I'd have it done by the 9th. I had it done by the 9th. I handed it to you guys. I handed it to them. Why all of a sudden can't they get it done in March or maybe even April, or maybe even May? I mean, I don't 
I don't know. It doesn't sound like they're on the level yet. So. So there you go. Tell me, you guys, how do they how do Republicans navigate this in the House? Because it's a little bit like uh, repealing the Affordable Care Act. You know, it everything worked great until the sort of here's how we're going to replace it comes. Yeah. No, you want the issue. You don't want the policy answer because exactly. you don't have it. That, you know, that again, it's down to weaponizing everything. I I'll quickly say and I want to hear from Charlie, but. The first of all, Biden didn't have a budget. He had a campaign press release. You know, it was I'm going to cut the deficit while spending trillions more on popular middle class stuff. I'm going to tax the guy behind the tree uh, to pay for it. Also, it's free to you vote for Biden. And that's typical. That's always the budget game. The problem is the Republicans have an opening here to get the spending issue back. Fiscal conservatism back and get on offense. But they can't because they're wearing clown shoes and they don't have a budget. Their budget is going to be a tax on Jewish space lasers or something. You know, they they can't play the serious game and win, which is too bad because there are good politics there. So Biden wins by default and he gets away with a lot of this sophism. I mean, it does beg the question, he can win the political fight of positioning, but are there going to be 218 votes to uh, deal with the debt ceiling. I am. I have worried about this from the moment uh, Kevin McCarthy took over. I, I mean, I think this is one of the toughest things because you know that you're going to have, you know, the orange Caligula down in Mar-a-Lago, you know, <laughs> issuing statements that anyone that votes for this is a cuck, you know, that you need to yeah. fight, you need to do all of that. Ron DeSantis, who's decided he's Trump's mini-me, will, will weigh in. So the tremendous pressure on Republicans will be, you know, don't compromise, don't make a deal. How do you get to 218? Um, you know, I suppose we're hoping that somehow uh, you have, you know, five or six uh, sane Republicans who uh, will vote with the Democrats. Each and every one of them, that vote will be equivalent to the Trump impeachment in terms of what it will mean for their political future. So I don't know. But your point about the budgets being campaign documents, I like the way you put it, Mike. They want the issue, but they don't want the policy. And this is a target rich environment for Republicans if, if they had their act together, you know, tax yep. and spend Democrats. I mean, this, this goes back to the oldest playbook around. The problem is if they have to put together a budget and, and Biden is being smart and saying, where is it? And keep you know, mm-hmm. asking that because they can't do this. There's no right. way that they're going to be able to have mathemat. You know, the, the math will not add up. And you have the Freedom Caucus bomb throwers who are making these extreme demands that are making it very, very difficult to get the debt ceiling through, but also to come up with a consensus budget. Look, I spent an evening the other you know, week with, uh, with Paul Ryan, and he was talking about his, his many, many, many you know, pre-Trump plans for the deficit. And no one you know, will go back to that at some point. And I kept looking at him going, man, the world has freaking changed. It doesn't exist anymore. Maybe it never existed the way you thought it did in the first place. But there's no Paul Ryan who's going to be able to craft a budget um, that's going to get all of the Republicans on board. I mean, think about the people who will be crunching the numbers. How do you reduce the deficit without touching Social Security, without touching Medicare? Um, you'd have to cut everything to the bone. And then you just hand the Democrats this massive gift. And so yeah. I, 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 I think that putting pressure on Republicans. Okay. Show us your cards. I think that's, that's an interesting tactic because Kevin McCarthy knows he's, he's in, he's in a world of hurt when they actually have to have to explain what, you know, all of their rhetorical, you know, hand grenades actually mean in the real world. 
You know, it reminds me so much of Dennis Miller had a great old joke, which is it's like playing checkers with Charlie Manson. He makes a couple <laughs> of good moves. And the next thing you know, he's got the corner of the board and he's trying to cut your throat. Yeah. You know, you just can't beat him at a game because he's totally insane. The Republicans can't play the game anymore. They're, yeah. they're just incapable of it. And the game has high stakes. I, I personally think they will peel off a few to get the debt ceiling done because there, there will be they have to. 10 to 20 yeah. Chamber of Commerce Republicans who are willing to commit suicide rather than have yeah. us carrying wheelbarrows full of money. And then they're all going to go to work at trade associations or in lobbying firms with Barney <laughs> Frank. That'll be the deal to get them to all commit suicide. And if they have to, that's what ought to be done. The problem is we lost most of them in the primaries. The Fred Uptons are gone. You know, the yeah. Patriot Republicans who would vote the national interest. But I, I think they're edged out. But wait till we get to the actual budget fight. Because with the Freedom Caucus having some people on rules, the, the stoplight committee that controls the floor, you know, they could say, hey, we want to vote on Jewish space lasers, put it on the floor. In the old days, we put a straitjacket on them. It would never go to the floor. Now some Dems might say, yeah, let's put them on the record on that. Let's yep. do it. And we start having crazy budget vote after crazy well, budget vote, yeah. forcing our guys who are trying to survive in the suburbs to take positions on crazy stuff. Right. Yeah. I think that's going to happen. In their own sort of wisdom, this is what American voters were concerned about last fall when they didn't deliver to Republicans the kind of uh, margins that they thought Republic that everyone, including us, thought Republicans were going to get, uh, because they were concerned about these sort of kind of crazy ideological jags sort of seizing control instead of sort of sensibility taking hold and things getting done and you know the irony of that was if the republicans had won more races mccarthy would have more control uh yeah, because, yeah. but he's so reliant on the crazy people now that uh he really doesn't and what he has to hope for in this crazy game of twister he's playing between trying to be responsible and being responsive to the crazy people he's got to hope that there are a bunch there are enough people who are willing to break away maybe he'll encourage them to do that while he you know tries no, to keep no, faith don't. with the crazy don't. people yeah. yes exactly yeah. exactly but i mean to mike to mike's point before though you know all of the incentives now in republican politics are for the the entertainment wing for the bomb right. throwers they're this why there is no governing philosophy anymore. They're not a serious governing party because there's no rewards for the members who are the policy wonks and the nerds. The rewards all go to the people who are, you know, we're going to fight. We're going to do this or that. You know, let's, you know, make sure you go to MarjorieTaylorGreen.com and make, yes. a, make a contribution. So, you know, we, we've gone through these you know, kabuki dances in the past where I, I, I've become so cynical about, you know, the, you know, the debt, the, you know, the, you know, government shutdowns, it goes on, you know, kabuki dance, kabuki dance. And then at the last minute, the grownups will, will, will settle it. Right. I mean, it always happens. I'm just not sure that at that, you know, at that final midnight hour that the, the grownups are going to be able to pull it off. I mean, I hope you're right that there are the, you know, 20 Republicans who are willing to, to come over. But you're right. For the first time, it may not happen. It, it may not you know, happen, right? It, it may not happen. There's yeah. there's real material risk that we're going to screw this thing up and slide right, right into banana republic world. Okay, then let's take a break right here, and we'll be right back. 
Man, I've spent 50 years in those Chicago winters, and I, I, I don't love them. In fact, I head west for spring training as a result of that. But when I'm home in that cold, nothing feels better than cozying up in some Great buttery soft sheets from Bowl and Branch made with 100% organic cotton threads that get softer with every wash. Take it from me, these sheets are fantastic. They feel great even after washing and the quality of it is first rate. It's like no sheets I've ever tried before. They're smooth and silky and they get softer with every wash. It's really amazing. I just can't wait to get into bed at night because they're so darn comfortable. The signature hem sheet Sheets from Bolin Branch are a bestseller for a reason. Bolin Branch uses the highest quality threads on earth. I don't mind that, maybe even in the universe, but we don't know yet. Their sheets are made from slow-grown organic cotton for a superior softness, and this is the most important thing, a better night's sleep. They feel buttery to the touch and are super breathable, so they're perfect for both cooler and warmer months. This uh, sheet is loved by millions. They're so luxurious. They're loved by three U.S. presidents, and how hard is it to get three U.S. presidents to agree on anything? Over 10,000 raving reviews. Bolin Branch signature sheets come in 10 versatile colors in all sizes from twin up to California king. Designed to feel incredible for all sleepers. Made without toxins. Free from pesticides, formaldehyde, and other harsh chemicals that you might find in other sheets. Bolin Branch sheets fits the deepest of mattresses and are labeled with top and bottom tags. So making your bed is easier than ever. Best of all, Bolin Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free guarantee with free shipping and returns on all U.S. orders. So make the most of bedtime with Bolin Branch sheets. Get 15% off your first order when you use our promo code HACKS at BolinBranch.com. Exclusions apply. See site for details. That's Bolin Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, promo code HACKS. So all of this stuff reminds me of what I learned, the bitter lesson I learned in the White House, which is like last week, we you know obviously this this thing is on everybody's radar screen the uh, the debt ceiling but last week nobody was talking about banking crises and one of the things about being in that building is you wake up every day and you have no idea what's going to happen to you that day you know uh or and uh, that's that's part of uh the hazards for Biden nonetheless he's moving forward uh, and he's done uh, a thing that has some uh, of the left of the party howling, uh, a series of things. Yeah, moving to the right a little bit, um, which is pure politics, but we'll see if it works. He had to do something at the border. Um, you know, whether this was the exact right thing to do or not, he had to do something uh, at the border because there really was, although they didn't want to say it, a crisis uh, at the at the border. Uh, this DC crime bill, uh, at a time when people are very concerned about crime, you know, was a trap. And it was meant as a trap by Republicans. He didn't, you know, basically reducing, uh, you know, the Republicans wanted to stop DC city council from overruling their own mayor and reducing some of the criminal penalties in DC. He he ended up standing down and standing with the Republicans on that after the White House said he wouldn't. And then this uh, drilling 
uh, authorization in Alaska, which it was quite a departure from uh, what he's uh, said and done before. Oh, oh, totally. In, in fact, let me, let me ever, because I have tape on this. As you guys know, I love to spend my time unwinding, put on a pair of headphones and listen to the oratory of Joe Biden, um, <laughs> the Churchill of our times. Well, we went in the time machine and let's pretend we're New Hampshire primary voters during the election uh, in a big town hall and listen to Joe Biden go hunting for votes on offshore drilling or excuse me, on federal land drilling. And by the way, no more drilling on federal lands, period, 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 period. But the Arctic Circle is a disaster to do that. A big oh, disaster. Oh, in my wow. Okay, now. <laughs> he meant semicolon. Yeah. Right, 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 exactly. He just got the punctuation wrong. You know, I agree with him on the policy. All the Alaska Pauls, even the rare couple of Democrats are on board. But... Let's put it this way. If a Republican president did this, it would be read my lips level front page hysteria. And we'll see if the Biden political machine can keep his environmental left in check or if this becomes a thing. Because caveat, political hack point, New Hampshire is still going to have a primary yeah. that the media is going to pay some attention to with no Joe Biden in it. So, you know, I could show up and get a quarter of the vote screaming about drilling. So, Let's so not go over, my point is, yeah, well, okay, okay. I, <laughs> I may run in the Republican one under eliminate the middleman. That's my <laughs> new project. Uh, why pay high candidate prices? But um, to, to your point, this thing could be a festering wound for him if he starts having other problems. We'll see. I think it's interesting that he's made these moves. He he obviously feels secure about winning the nomination. He I think they feel like yeah. they've consolidated the party. Exactly. He's got he's got the calendar he wants. Uh, so New Hampshire's not going to be the first primary. Uh, primary. There's no Iowa caucus. Well, they, they might be. They might do a rump thing early, which only the media will pay attention to. But that could be a problem. I agree with that. But basically, it really does feel like he is he is trying to. Uh, uh, you know, reclaim his his uh, his sort of you know brand as a uh, center left moderate kind of uh, of of Democrat. You know, there'll be a lot of howling about it um, on you know within the party, but um, you know it it he's taking arrows out of the Republican quiver. Well, question for Charlie: yeah. If you're Biden. And you want to go back to the comfortable old shoe, not crazy center Biden that won the last election. Can you do it with cops where he's always had a flank move up and drilling? Will you give away fiscal or are the Republicans so screwed up as we talked about earlier, they can never get offensive because I think Biden's given away fiscal moderate forever. Uh, and you wonder if he can get away with it with the other two, particularly the cop cultural issue. Uh, I, I, I think crime. so. Okay. So I, the, the bulwark has a little bit of an ideological divide. We have uh, Biden fanboys. I, I am not in the Biden fanboy column here, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that, that I think he's making some smart moves here. Um, I think what he's done is he understands, you know, three of the really most potent Republican talking points. Like he's got a you know, spreadsheet here and he's going down and he's going to, you know, tick them off, you know, crime, immigration, yeah. the chaos at, at the border, um, you know, high energy costs. Um, now, obviously, he's going to be attacked on these things anyway, but he's now able to, um, you know, push back on all of this because outside of the liberal Democratic bubble, 
these are really um, these are powerful, potent issues, you know, being mm-hmm. soft on crime. You're seeing it, you know, in these elections, you're seeing it in, in Los Angeles, you're seeing it in San Francisco and in, in New York and in Chicago. Um, so and these are playing and he's got to address this. Um, this was a big problem, um, I think, an underappreciated problem for uh, for the Democrats in 2020 and 2022. The chaos at the border will come up comes up in every single Republican talking point, every single time, the high cost of gas. So if you're sitting around with swing voters and talking about, you know, what are the problems you have? Um, I can pretty much guarantee you that those three issues are going to come up. So he, I think he understands this. I think that Joe Biden also understands that, and you, you guys know this better than I do, but I mean, there is a sort of groupthink among younger Democrats. And I think, you know, some of the D.C. people, the media folk who don't necessarily understand how salient these issues are out in, you know, the swing congressional districts and the rest of the, of the country. Totally, uh, totally. Joe Biden gets this. He gets it in a way that the MSNBC green room does not. <laughs> and so I do think it's important. Do the counterindication. What if he would have gone along with the D.C. thing, the D.C. crime bill? Joe Biden endorses lowering the penalty for carjackers. That will be in about $200 million worth of Republican ads. It was a trap. It was very much a a trap. Um, So the the his position on pipelines and drilling has been weaponized beyond your wildest expectations, even here in Wisconsin, where every time gas goes up one cent. People are going to be talking about, you know, the the Keystone XL pipeline or, you know, his comments on offshore drilling and those things. So I think this is these are prudent pivots toward the center. There's a little bit of triangulation going on there. Yes, it's going to create some problems for the progressive base. But to David's point, I think they've decided they don't need to worry about a progressive primary challenge. And if Donald Trump is the Republican nominee, where are these folks going to go? Well, that's the key point. If he's lucky enough to get yeah. Trump, then a lot of the universe comes to order. I agree. He's always been smart on the crime cultural stuff. And, you know, maybe that will be enough. So it's the old campaign rule of if you're losing an issue by 40 points, people care about your cooked. If you can trim it to losing it by 12 and move mm-hmm. it to other stuff, you're going to do okay. Listen, uh, one thing on y- your point on the fiscal uh, stuff, I-, I think your your head is back in a different <laughs> era here. Because the you know the 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 that that same group that is concerned about these issues are concerned about you know their costs and inflation and in fact Biden's out there today uh, talking about various things that will be deliverables from his infrastructure bill in terms of lower, lowering um, you know internet costs and healthcare costs and other costs I mean. They have made a decision that they are going to move uh, right on some of these sort of cultural issues, and they are going to be populist on some of these uh, economic issues, and right. that probably fits the times. I think it does. Well, I don't know. I If there's a recession, then the tax and spend thing will come back like Godzilla, but I agree on the cultural bet they're making, and it's smart. Because one thing Biden's always had in his political DNA is people believe his motive is regular people. And that's a golden thing, a golden brand to have. 
Uh, and if the Republicans run the super clown, then a lot of this stuff is irrelevant. But uh, you're right, it, it, it's the old thing, but the old thing can become the new thing if the terrain changes. So we just have to watch that. By super clown, you mean the orange Caligula? Well, th- I love that. I used to do yeah. Orange Menace. I'm switching over to Orange Caligula. <laughs> okay, I, it's, my, it's my gift. No, I think also in terms of the populace, um, raising taxes on you know the, the super rich, billionaire taxes, first of all, obviously, you guys know this better than I do, but I mean, it polls extremely well. But also, I mean, there, there's a moment where I, I think that um, where if he pushes that issue, and my old self would have said if he demagogues that issue and plays class warfare, <laughs> um, I think it, I miss the old Charlie on that yes, point. But go ahead. I would have definitely <laughs> hammered that. On the other hand, I always in the back of my mind going, you know, if they really double down on this, um, you know, people are not going to die on the mountain of, you know, uh, raising, t- no, not raising taxes on millionaires. This is one where I think that the Democrats need a little bit more confidence uh, on Um there is that, that's, that sentiment, that Bernie Trump crossover sense that the system is rigged, that we live in yeah. an oligarchy, yeah. that you know we're tired of It is such a good issue. You know? No, no, that's by far the, that's the best framing of it for Biden by a mile. But spending us into a recession and national bankruptcy, spending more on some of this stuff uh, than we spent in real dollars on World War II, there, there's muscle there. But we will see. Part of it is economic times. If things are going good, potency of the issue goes way down. It does. Let me just say this, because we were talking about the orange Caligula. He was in Iowa yesterday. Right, that's where I was going to go, too. We're, we're starting to see some teeth. He, he, he obviously recognizes the challenge here, and he spent nine minutes on DeSantis in Iowa. Here's a little piece of it. But you have to remember, Ron was a disciple of Paul Ryan. No. Who is... A rhino loser who currently is destroying Fox and would constantly vote against entitlements. He would just vote against. Remember that the wheelchair over the cliffs, the Democrats used it. The wheelchair over the cliff commercial, very effective. That was about him. But Ryan, Paul Ryan's a big reason that Mitt Romney, I'm not a big fan of Mitt Romney, lost his election. And to be honest with you, Ron reminds me a lot of Mitt Romney. So I don't think you're going to be doing so well here, but we're going to find out. Oh, the dreaded Mitt Santis attack. Oh, that'll <laughs> do it. That'll do it. I-, I texted Mitt this morning. It's time to endorse Trump, by the way, just to really screw him. <laughs> it, uh, but it does reflect he's flailing. Uh, I think he recognizes that he's got a problem here and he's trying to turn it back. And it feels like he's just throwing stuff against the wall here. But I'm, I'm asking you guys, it's the scared dog that barks the loudest here. And the race has begun. The real news isn't, is DeSantis on the second look going to, we don't know any of that. We're having a hell of a time covering it. I think a fresh face may pop up. Watch Tim Scott, maybe watch, uh, um, uh, God, I can't believe it, uh, Glenn Youngkin. But the big news is there is now a race for the Republican nomination. And Trump feels it. You can see the donor world moving. Now, does that mean he's doomed? No, he has cards. He's somebody. He put 2,000 people into a hockey arena, wherever the hell he did his ice capades uh, in Iowa, Western Iowa. But it's in play now, and that is a big deal. 
Well, he's definitely going to beat Paul Ryan in Iowa. Um, I would be willing to put some money on all of this. So Ron DeSantis continues to be, you know, the the unknown factor here. Everybody's projected on him all kinds of qualities, all sorts of values. Mm -hmm. And I have to say that I'm I'm starting to get a little skeptical. But I want to bounce this off you guys. Um, I did on my daily podcast. I was talking about, you know, DeSantis' decision to join the Ukraine Surrender Caucus. (laughs) <laughs> he went on uh, Tucker, Tucker to Tucker, proclaim right. it. Yeah. yeah. So, so I was with James Holman from the Washington Post who said this is, he thinks this is dumb politics. I mean, clearly DeSantis's game plan is I will not allow any uh, sunlight between myself and Trump. I am going to, you know, be, you know, Trumpism without Trump. And so that's the lane that I'm going for. But he does. I mean, I would think that coming out with that the sort of the pro-Putin or anti-anti-Putin uh, stand has got to actually complicate his uh, his appeal to some of these the, the non-hardcore MAGA voters. Yeah, um, I, I think he looked unserious. I, I think he looks like he's you know, it's one thing to pander to the base. But if on a daily basis you look like you're pandering to the base, it doesn't look strong. It looks weak, you know. That's the thing, you know, he he is really running as a strong man, and that's not a very strong move. But the bigger thing is, uh, it's also inconsistent with who he's been in the past. And I think that's going to be a big problem for him. You know, he was a hawk on arming Ukraine in the past. Uh, You know, he he was, this was not who he was in the House. He also, by the way, was with Paul Ryan on entitlements, uh, which Trump will, I think, probably delve deeper into that that was the oh he did in in the iowa speech trump went after him on social security even dragged out the old ethanol card which is yeah. you know he's going to attack him on on dairy next but yep i think that we have yet to see this desantis thing stress tested mm-hmm. he has become the alternative the break glass uh, of choice for republican establishment people who feel like he can get enough of Trump's support that he can win the nomination. And they're just desperate to stop Trump from getting the nomination. But man, I have to say, first of all, this um, divergence between who he was and who he is, is, is one point. The whole, and I know this is the theme of his book, but you know, you listen to him speak and there is such hubris. I mean, it's all like, we're doing everything in Florida well, well, you know, we're the bastion of freedom. I don't know if you're a woman who wants an abortion. I don't know if she'd feel that way. If you're a company that has a point of view and, and expresses it and then gets punished by the government, I don't know if that feels like freedom. I, I think this guy's going to get attacked in many which ways. That's not the formula for the Iowa caucus. You know, no, I understand. I, I would say this about DeSantis. One, he's shrewdly moving up fast in the Moscow you know, caucus. I don't know how many delegates they get. He's making a mistake. He's forgotten the Nixon lesson of politics. He's already got the culture war creds. Right. That means he can widen his appeal now. He's he's anti in. He doesn't need to do it anymore. He gets it for free and he can go other places like the National Cons- uh, Security Conservatives uh, who are very dubious on Trump. He's got to look at the polling of the 60% plus of Republican primary voters who are not enthusiastic about Trump and try to get interesting to them. Wow. And he's doing the opposite. He's narrowing his appeal yeah, yeah. to be the second best Trump in the race. And yes, that, that yeah. strategically is dumb. So I Agreed. think the conventional wisdom has missed it on DeSantis. He is a proof of concept that a non-Trump person can breathe and survive in the preseason. 
which means a better, more interesting one could appear. He's like a blocking guard. Because when the second look comes and the DeSantis skills of charisma are found to be lacking, um, I think he's going to have a hard time. You know, this is not a guy who's ever had a tough race. Bro. No, he's he, brittle. As a, yeah, as a candidate, he doesn't have the performance skills. Most candidates can jump in a dinner theater office and do 10 minutes of Man of La Mancha and get away with it because yeah. they just have that ability. That And he's got, you know, a, a brilliant guy. I think I might have quoted him before uh, out of the Republican world. I won't ruin his career. Said there is no love in him. And, mm-hmm. and that I thought was a very telling analysis. So we'll see how he yeah. how he wears. But the bigger point is, for all his strategic mishaps, he shows there's an opening for an alternative. There's no guarantee it'll be him. Yeah. All right. Let's take a minute to hear from one of our esteemed sponsors. So if you're a business owner who likes to jump to the news highlights, you'll love Indeed with Indeed Instant Match you can instantly receive a list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description. Hiring? You need Indeed. And let me tell you why. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Find top talent fast with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. And if you hate waiting, well, here's the good news. Indeed's U.S. data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. I've run small businesses. I understand how hard hiring can be, and I didn't have these tools when I was doing that. So I'm I'm just jealous of those who are because you have this tool and you should join the over 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. Indeed knows when you're growing your own business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why with Indeed, you only pay for quality applications that match your must-have job preferences. Because Indeed knows that when you're growing your own business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why with Indeed, you only pay for quality applications that match your must-have job requirements. So visit Indeed.com hacks to start hiring now. Just go to Indeed.com hacks. Indeed.com hacks. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Think about what didn't happen. Imagine if he would have gone on Tucker's show and said, Tucker, I agree with you on all of these these things, but you're wrong on Ukraine. And this is part of my freedom agenda. It is to be yeah. strong. If we want to, if we want to beat China, we need um, to beat Vladimir Putin first or whatever, however else you want to describe it. But he could have wrapped it into Reagan-esque foreign policy, being a fighter, fighting for freedom, that the fight for freedom of our time is in Ukraine. And you know mm-hmm. what? He could have gotten away with it. And then, But Mike's right. He's got the culture warriors uh, nailed down. And he also then could have led. He would have looked strong. He, I think yeah. he might have actually moved public opinion. Uh, people would yeah. say, okay, maybe you're right. I mean, there is that latent gene among Republicans when you used to have muscular international foreign policy. Yeah. Instead, 
by truckling to Trump's, uh, you know, isolationism and joining the surrender caucus, he is just a me too. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, it's telling that he went on Tucker. He he won't appear anywhere but on uh, Fox. Yeah, Fox and right wing uh, media. And he didn't go there to fight. He went there to signify. And uh, and that's what he did. And that is not you're absolutely right. Presidents, people at that level are the ones who take those risks, who who chat, you know, chat, go into the lion's den and and prove their mettle. Right. And you want to be the uncola. You want to stand out. I, I lost some faith. I mean, he's never been my cup of tea, but I want to beat Trump at all costs. Yeah. But early on, somebody went and pitched his world, which is kind of, you know, diffuse. It's really his wife running everything. The idea that maybe we all get together and change the delegate rules for proportional so Trump right. can't take it. And the DeSantis response was, well, that would anger the Trump people. Well, you're not going to beat Trump for the nomination without strategically angering the Trump. Yeah. People. And if that's the strategy to like be the Trump who's not in jail, very limited. He's yeah. not just going to magically go away. I mean, this is the problem. Yeah. I mean, he Donald Trump is not going to, you're not going to be able to go around him. You, you know, it, it does seem as if the, you know, the, the strategy is, you know, something, 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 unicorn. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And by the way, in, in Trump's crazy mind, he respects Romney more as an opponent than he does a copycat. So even if it starts working, he's going to hate DeSantis for ripping yeah. off his act. And he's going to yeah. pound on him till the end of time. The thing that Biden is counting on is either getting Trump as an opponent or having Trump as an ally and tearing down the person who does. Yeah. And uh, it's pretty clear now. I mean, the you know, this thing with DeSantis is such that he, Trump is never going to get back there. He is never going to get back there. I mean, you know, some, the cynic would say, well, maybe the law from a pardon or something. But uh, if, if he feels like DeSantis, and he obviously does as a usurper who he created and is now being disloyal, he's been very frank about it. I don't think he's going to go back there at the end of this process and say, well done. No great battle now it's over and let's march forward as one that's just not going to happen you're right about that the problem with biden's strategy though is what happens if the most powerful word in advertising pops up new and all of a sudden it's somebody who's not trump or DeSantis that trump doesn't like it's that's a, little... a problem you're right that i bled over into general election attacks on DeSantis before but my theory about all these things is that uh, people never look for the replica of what they have. They look for the remedy. And what is the thing that people don't like about Biden more than anything else? They don't like that he's old and so young. And they, they, and they equate old, older, old with uh, weakness, uh, though I think he's shown strength on, on Ukraine, for example, and some other issues. But uh, it's a problem. You know, the, 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 even if it's DeSantis, the challenge for Biden uh, will be young and muscular totally. is the remedy to who he is. And that's the thing that they should worry about, whether it's DeSantis or anything, yeah. anyone other than Trump. No, they've got to build a whole campaign to be ready for that or do the ultimate strong patriot thing, step aside and let a more electable Dem run. But that's not going to happen. Hey, I wanted to get into uh, what the uh, Senate Republicans are doing differently this year to try and forestall the kind of disaster they have last year. Revenge of the Mitch. It's good. We got so much to talk about 
that uh, we're going to have to defer the mailbag for this week. Please keep those questions coming. Murphy, what's the email address? The email address for the Magnificent Mailbag is highly creative. It is hacksontap at gmail.com. Hacksontap at gmail.com. We'll do a few extra next week to make it up to you. But let's close with the new improved National Republican Senatorial Committee. We're out of the crazy candidate business with Senator Steve Daines of Montana now running it with a pragmatic McConnell-esque twist because Mitch is tired of losing. Now, the Trump stain, if he's nominated, is still really bad, even in the Senate races, but at least they're trying not to screw up the candidates. Axe, what's your take on that as well as Charlie's? Whereas Rick Scott, who uh, ran the committee in, the, uh, in 2022, uh, did not take an interventionist uh, posture and try and shape these races, and you ended up with a bunch of Trumpies uh, you know, being fed to Democrats, Danes is trying to intervene. Interestingly, in Indiana, he went, he, uh, he kind of chose a Trumpy candidate, uh, Banks, but he, he persuaded Mitch Daniels, the popular former governor, who's more of a center right, uh, Republican, uh, not to run in that race, which, you know, try and avoid, a. Uh, a, a blood that, that was there. a loss for the nation. I understand the cynicism of the politics, totally. but but that I agree with you on that. That was not the right call there because Mitch would have would have won that seat. But he's trying to persuade in his uh, in in Montana, Tim Shahi Shahi, right, uh, who's a businessman and a uh, veteran, to run against John Tester, the incumbent Democrat. It should be a very competitive state. Yeah, for that's going to be a tough one. But Tester's formidable. Unless they nominate Matt Rosendale, the nutty right-wing congressman. Yeah, which is the nightmare scenario. Yeah, yeah. So he's trying to forestall that. It's interesting. It's the mountain state with the biggest Democratic twinge, if you pour enough liquor into it. And uh, Tester's a more centrist guy, so he's formidable. But that's going to be the number one Republican pickup race, I think. It, unless they get Rosedale, which will piss it all away. In uh, Pennsylvania, he's trying to encourage Doug McCormick. Uh, Dave McCormick yeah, to Dave run McCormick. again, who who lost in a primary to Dr. Oz uh, last time to run against Bob Casey, the incumbent Democrat. And uh, now I've, he, he is out of my mind because he was such a, a repugnant Doug candidate. Doug Mastriano. Exactly. The <laughs> candidate for governor in, uh, I just say repugnant and Charlie yeah. comes up with a name right <laughs> yeah, away. But he's talking about running for the Senate. I saw a poll the other day that showed him leading if he ran in a Republican primary, yeah. that would, that would, I think Casey probably wins anyway. That would ensure his, his win. And then he's persuade he's, he's, I guess, close to Dane's persuading uh, Jim Justice, the governor of West Virginia, to run for the Senate there, if uh, in the seat that Joe Manchin holds right now. So, you know, it's a different, you guys probably appreciate this. It's a, it's a different approach than we've seen last time. McConnell obviously decided, I'm not going to go through this again. Well, look, last time was Rick Scott for president plus a Trump fan club. It had nothing to do with the Senate majority and they blew it. So this time the Republicans are going to go back to the more pragmatic, effective playbook, but Trump can still screw it all up if he emerges through as the nominee. I mean, you know, we have a better gas mask now with this plan, but we we still have this anthrax problem. (laughs) Right, because the real problem is that it's a voter problem, not not necessarily just a leadership problem. Yeah, so yeah. I actually got an email from somebody yesterday saying, hey, have you heard rumors that uh, Republicans are going to put up uh, Sheriff David Clark for the Senate seat in Wisconsin against Tammy Baldwin? Oh. And I, 
I said, no, I had not heard that. But of course, that would be political suicide. That would be toxic. And this is the problem. I mean, you can come up with all these plans, but the, you know, the heart loves, you know, the heart wants what it wants. And uh, in Pennsylvania, they might want uh, Doug Mastriano. In Arizona, they might want Kerry Lake. I had a, a, a kind of related discussion with Peter Meyer, uh, the, uh, the, the guy who lost his seat, who vo- uh, the Republican oh, who God, voted yeah. for Pete In Michigan, yeah. yeah. In Michigan. He may run, by the way. He's, yes. Uh, no, he's, he's definitely urged. running. And I'll tell you what, yeah. the, what the reflection, what the, the, the biggest clue that he might run is, is that he refused to say on the podcast whether he, would, uh, whether he could accept Trump as a presidential candidate, pathetic, having pathetic. voted to impeach well, him. Well, nice, nice try trying to kill the poor guy before he can get in the general <laughs> election there. Democratic consultant David Axelrod. He's a really admirable young guy, but that shows you he thinks that that is the 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 toll booth he has to go through to be nominated in the state of Michigan and that's my point and your point about the marketplace and you know one of the things that I spoke out when Democrats kind of boosted his opponent in that race by by but but I pointed out to uh Meyer they were all they did was certify this guy's credentials right to this uh, electorate right he he's a trump guy he's too too conservative he you know he's 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 anti-abortion you know they ran the whole gamut of issues that he would have run uh himself under the guise of attacking him uh, but i point out and my and i thought that was wrong because meyer had given up his seat in yeah. order to do the right thing that said it only worked because there was a market for it it only worked because that was what the Republican electorate was looking for. No, no, it, it, it's true. But and I remember you criticized it. I did too. The problem is, if there's a market for evil, you still don't want to buy free billboards for evil. You know, different issue. Yeah. The point is, there is the 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 question for Danes, and this is he's trying to as snuff out as many of these primary fights as possible because I think he knows what you guys are saying, what I'm saying, which is you get. You get a Mastriano into a race. There's no guarantee that he doesn't win that race. You you get a a Clark in Wisconsin, right? Right. No, you want to suppress everything. What you're trying to do is de-risk the primaries to have a shot in the general with a really good map, hoping the national thing doesn't go to hell because we nominate Trump, or that the national thing goes great because Biden decays a lot or the economic conditions decay. So he's doing all the rational actor stuff. The question is, there's a limit to how much Republican primary voters can be controlled from a conference room in Washington. That's it. Which a lot of committee, I've been in that game 30 years, sometimes the goats break through and they want to do their thing. And we now have a digital media complex connected to Fox that can be an accelerant to all the bad stuff. And we've had cycles like that. We remember the witch in Delaware? Occasionally the primary voters go on a crazy rampage and now we have amplifiers say, they didn't have before. Real quick, Charlie, because you are an expert on this. I've been enjoying the Dominion lawsuit against yeah. Fox News, all the delicious discovery. By the way, when they finally come for me, I'm hiring those Dominion lawyers. I think yeah. they've done a brilliant job. Fantastic. But here's my question. We now know that, and no surprise here, that Rupert's in the money business. He's selling tickets. They want a chariot race. I'll sell them a chariot race. They want a death squad. Okay, tune in at eight. So now the Republican primary race is getting interesting. Do you think, will Fox, you know, they have to make some decisions about this. Are they going to be Fort Trump in the narrative or are they going to be time to move on? 
or are they just going to want as much blood sport as possible? Where do you think the money is, which I think is where Fox News will go? My instinct is blood sport and pretty rough on Trump, but we're seeing. Initially. Well, I mean, think, remember what happened in 2016. They were not pro, pro-Trump, pro but if Trump surges, if Trump gets the nomination, he's the only game in town. There's no, They have no choice, really. However, there will be a very interesting meeting between the marketing people and the legal people saying you, you really, you know, the... Uh, Rupert will say, we have to have Trump on the air. He's the Republican nominee. We, there's no way our audience wants this. They will leave us if we don't have him. The lawyers will say, do you understand that if he comes back on the air and begins to lie about the election, do you want, that what that does to our legal uh, status? But ultimately, if Donald Trump is the nominee, Fox will do in 2024 exactly what it did in 2016. No, I agree with that. But I think the business in the primary might be the death of the king. Might be. Yeah. Knives in the back, knives in the neck, blood sport everywhere, which is bad for Donald Trump because yeah. Fox is stronger in the primary than they are in the general election. It, it sure feels like they're they're putting their chips down on DeSantis. I mean, he's you know, he is a ubiquitous presence on their air the other day. Uh, uh, what's his name from the morning show was down there, Brian Kilmeade playing ball with DeSantis on a ball field. Literally softballs, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, but but exactly. they've got the Carlin strategy, to quote the St. George. They're going to be for what's happening now in the Democrat, excuse me, Republican primary. So if it's DeSantis, Shazam. If somebody else has a moment who's not Sununu and Larry Hogan's out, they're going to go where the heat and light is to sell tickets, I think. And if I were Trump, that will be a problem. And Trump will react by attacking them and that they're smart carnies. They're going to be like, great, more ratings. You know, the old shock jock rule, banned in Boston. We can end here, but I think DeSantis has a sense of what sells tickets, and uh, that's why he's, you know, yeah. consonant with their goals right now. He's, he's uh, you know, oh, he's yeah. providing the same kind of uh, incentives for the right that Trump did. You know, as Maggie Haberman said here last week, uh, Trump without the crazy. Yep. So anyway, guys, Charlie, you're the... You're the best. Great Thank to you. great to be with you. The bulwark is terrific. We and uh, we drive everyone to all of their podcasts, but especially the aptly named Bulwark podcast that you do every day. And subscribe. The Bulwark is an incredible source for sane conservatives, and I highly recommend you uh, sign up. I'm a member, and it's very reasonably priced. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you, David. I know you've got the Mark Society meeting to keynote later. I've got to go out and do a little consulting work. I love Groucho, by the way. <laughs> All right. See all you right. all next week. Bye.